This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. I have to confess that at present I am not in the KDVS studios. In fact, if all goes according to plan, I am not even in the United States. If possible, later in today's program, we will insert, perhaps, a, an update from Central America. We will otherwise make do with the tracks Mr. Merlin and I laid down before my egress. This does afford an opportunity to do much catch-up work, which, frankly, is, uh, is long overdue. We have piles of articles to go through, which we'll do in good time, but let's be, start the program as we like to do, with... On this date in history, the date in question is the 9th of December. It was on December 9th in 536 that Bessalarius, a Byzantine general for Justinian I, captured Rome under orders to recover Italy from the Ostrogoths, a Germanic tribe which had captured what at that time I believe was the western uh, capital of the divided Roman Empire. Rome pretty much went to hell about this time. But the Roman Empire pretty much lived on directly in Byzantium, later known as Constantinople, today known as Istanbul, which is in modern-day Turkey. Uh, That all lasted up to the 1400s, 1453, I believe. By the way, in this correspondent's opinion, Turkey is one of the great countries in the world to visit. With all America's sad-to-note distrust of Islamic nations and Islamic peoples, have to note I've been treated very well in every Islamic country I visited. Turkey near the top. All right, speaking of religion, on December 9th in 1688, King James II fled England for France after his efforts to fill positions of authority and influence with Roman Catholics rather than Protestants failed. He was replaced by William of Orange from the Netherlands, and uh, uh, the UK has never made a serious effort to return to the Roman Catholic fold since, to my knowledge. Only the Anglican Church, dating back to Henry VIII, is pretty much Catholicism without the Pope, to my understanding. And while the rest of the world calls them Anglicans, here in the U.S. we seem to refer to them as Episcopalians. On this date in 1824, the Spanish colonial armies were defeated by Peruvian patriots at the Battle of Ayacucho, which resulted in Peru's independence. On December 9th in 1854, Alfred Lord Tennyson's poem, The Charge of the Light Brigade, was published. It commemorates the, the courage of 600 British soldiers who charged a heavily defended position during the Battle of Balaclava in the Crimean War. Although the poem celebrates the bravery of these these soldiers who who charged the position held by the Russian army, the move was in fact a mistake. Due to an error in communications, the British cavalry was sent to its doom, which I hate to say, it kind of reminds me of the moment in Joseph Heller's great book, Catch-22, wherein a, a bomber commander makes a mistake, goes over a target without a lot of support to heavy casualties, and when the military brass then ponders what's an appropriate action, they decide that instead of it punishing him, they'll give him a medal, which I guess is kind of like publishing a poem, which commemorates the courage of the soldiers. December 9, 1940 was a somewhat happier day for British forces. Two British divisions, half of them composed of Indian troops, attacked seven Italian divisions in Egypt during World War II. Overwhelmed, overwhelmed by two divisions? Apparently overwhelmed, the seven Italian divisions in Egypt collapsed, and the 
end of Italian occupation of North Africa had begun. Many military historians feel that uh, the West was just plain lucky that Mussolini's Italy was allied with Hitler and not with us. All right, our quote of the day comes from Gustave Flaubert, who said, Our ignorance of history causes us to slander our own times. Which, frankly, is one reason why we like to start this program every week with a bit of history. If you don't know something about where you've been, how do you know where you are, let alone where you're going to go? My quote of the day comes from Eleanor Roosevelt. I'm not sure this comes from Eleanor Roosevelt, but it was quoted in the Tulsa World recently. And Eleanor, or someone like her, said, Great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. Our joke of the day comes from the immortal Milton Berle, who once said, Jews don't drink much because it interferes with their suffering. Our stat of the day is 159 degrees Fahrenheit which is the alleged temperature of the Lut Desert in Iran per a 2005 satellite measurement from NASA. Note an article in Mental Floss, it was assumed that nothing lived there, but after NASA made that announcement, adventurers flocked to the land to discover there was plenty of wildlife there, including lizards, sand cats, falcons, foxes, and the rare toothbrush-tailed rat, of which we know nothing. Now, my understanding is the highest recorded temperature is like 136 from Libya in like the 1920s. Um, you know, the ground gets hotter than the air, so I don't think this was an air temperature. In fact, we're going to talk about Thermageddon a little bit later on today's program. The notion that if global warming continues uh, much longer, we may see areas of the Earth become uninhabitable because of the temperature and humidity. Why don't we jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly? It was a good week last week for doing the right thing. After 80-year-old Helen Bignoni of Alameda, California who'd been out walking her Yorkshire Terrier, Deuce, when two robbers appeared and snatched the dog away. That apparently was a month ago. Well, last week, a woman from Stockton saw a news report about the stolen pooch and realized it was the same dog she had just purchased for $20. She took Deuce to the police, who scanned the dog's implanted microchip to confirm his identity before returning him to Bignone. Said the woman, there are so many good people in the world, I'm on top of the world. Was, on the other hand, a bad week for screwing with J.R. Ewing. According to Bloomberg.com, Lisa Detane recently found out that Larry Hagman, who played J.R. Ewing, had a lot in common with his TV character. He won an arbitration case against her after Hagman alleged losing $1.35 million of he and his wife's money on bum investments with Detana. Detana's employer, Citigroup, was ordered to pay Hagman $1.1 million plus $460,000 in legal costs. In addition, industry arbitrators slapped Citigroup with $10 million in punitive damages for unspecified serious misconduct payable to charities of Hagman's choosing. Citi said it might appeal, but observers say that might only add another round of bad publicity. And finally, it was an ugly week a few weeks back for... Marketing. 
When New Scientist magazine noted that it was surprised to learn in October 2nd of this year that a product called Rent-A-Kill thought it was helpful to tell customers that its rat poison, quote, contains natural whole wheat, unquote. A writer to the magazine, Mick Kahn, suggested that they may have missed a possible explanation to this, that he noted it could be a warning to rats with gluten allergy or intolerance, suggesting that they'd be advised to use an alternative gluten-free poison. And by the way, that's just a perfect segue for us to note a new sponsor for this program. They had originally sponsored us in our first year of broadcasting here on this program, and we're happy to have them back. Rats. Who wants them around? Nobody. If you have rat exterminating needs, but hate the idea of using harmful artificial chemicals, then turn to an all-natural compound that kills rodents the natural way. Dr. Bonaparte's all-natural rat killer contains no artificial ingredients, only arsenic salts, minerals from nature's gentle bosom. This doctor-approved product was never tested on laboratory animals, and it contains no preservatives, additives, artificial colors, or added sugar. Look to your local health food outlet for the gentle way to send these critters to meet their maker. Just a few pellets of the cholesterol-free earth tone rodenticide will put the pest down the kind-hearted way at just pennies a serving. Why harm the environment with dangerous chemicals when you can use a mineral compound that goes back to the dawn of creation? Dr. Bonaparte's is the all-natural way to relieve rodent infestations. And nearly half of doctors of veterinary medicine polled prefer Dr. Bonaparte's formula to an alternate of antifreeze and cheese puffs. Dr. Bonaparte's, the natural solution. Available in environmentally friendly biodegradable packaging, both in regular and new money-saving Pied Piper size. That, ladies and gentlemen, in case you have not figured it out, was a joke. This radio station remains commercial free. Anyway, and speaking of rat killing, which is a segue one hardly ever gets to make, article in the Sacramento Bee, November 21st, notes that uh, that over in India, the city of Mumbai, formerly known as Bombay, is, uh, is continuing to wage a long losing war against vermin. Article talks about Sabid Ali Sheikh, whose job is rat catcher. I think it probably ought to be called rat killer. In fact, his quota is killing 30 rats a night. If he doesn't do it, he doesn't get paid. The article includes a rather vivid picture of of the man with his um, rat stick, which is a, uh, you know, baseball bat and longer a length baton, which, which he uses to dispatch the rodents. Article notes that, uh, you know, you have to put aside for a moment those stories about uh, the great nation of India, how it has these engineering geniuses, billionaires, and all of its youthful promise, how its economy might one day outpace China. Notes that the uh, the Sheikh family does not live in that India. Goes on to note that the competition for rat catcher jobs in Mumbai is intense. Only men 18 to 30 need apply. They must be able to lift a 110-pound sack and run a few miles. They must demonstrate their ability to catch and kill a rat in the dark within 10 minutes. Apparently the last time the city recruited, there were 4,000 people which applied for the 33 positions. I do have some experience in this area. Not as a rat catcher necessarily, but uh, having seen firsthand uh, the rodents of India. In Calcutta, a couple decades ago, I noticed there were piles of, uh, of garbage out in the street. And at night, those piles seem to come alive with rats. 
When I was walking back to my hotel, I noted a rather dirty man laying in the street with numerous dogs. It was explained to me later that he was the rat catcher. He and the dogs, uh, I guess, earned a living by, uh, you know, finishing off the rodent population, which was kind of like our equivalent of squirrels in the park. They would pop out at night, scamper about. Except they're really, they're really not as cute as squirrels, I have to say. In retrospect, I, w I wasn't sure whether the guy laying in the street was actually employed to be a rat catcher or whether he earned his, um, I guess you'd say, daily protein and his dog's food by catching rats. I kind of suspect it was that. Anyway, it's a different world over there in India. Excuse me, uh, Doug, I've got a rat story relating to India. Oh. Well, Mr. Mabillon, who spent more time in India than yours truly, uh, well, what better thing to talk about during the holiday season than rats, Mr. McMillan? Thanks, Doug. In the late 90s, I had occasion to find myself with a very large, heavy suitcase at the Calcutta Railway Station, Howrah Station, in eastern India. And I decided to check it into the left luggage uh, counter where they would uh, store it for me for a small fee until I came to collect it. And there were many signs about that said, don't leave any food items inside your luggage. And I didn't think much of it. I didn't have any in there anyway. And so after I left my bag there and was on my way out of the railway station to uh, do the things that I needed to do at the time, and I thought uh, there can be a lot of uh, theft at some of these places. So I just wanted to make sure my bag was secure before I uh, completely left the premises. So I went back to the uh, left luggage counter and I asked the uh, gentleman there if I could see my bag and see how it was stored, if it was secured, etc., etc. And he said, sure, in his broken English. And he led me back to a room that was about uh, 20 feet by 40 feet wide. When I went in, there were racks all around the uh, periphery of the room with suitcases on them, some chained up, some not. He pointed to my bag up, uh, sitting up on top of one of the racks up there, but that wasn't really what concerned me. Uh, what concerned me was uh, there were about, uh, no exaggeration, about a, th a thousand very large rats, two-thirds of them scurrying about, uh, trying gnawing on the handles of various suitcases, trying to chew through and get whatever was inside of uh, some of the luggage. Most of the rats were unconcerned about uh, these two humans getting in the room, but about one-third of the rats stopped what they were doing and glared at us with a look on their face, what are you doing here? And the attendant glanced over at me and gave me kind of a, uh, see, everything's okay, look. And that's about when I decided that I would uh, suffer the burden of carrying around my heavy, large suitcase and not leave it to the uh, devices of the rats. Wow, a thousand rats. Calling Dr. Bonaparte. Well, let's talk a little politics, depressing though that may be. Like most people, we've been a bit disappointed at uh, President Barack Obama's tenure to date. We have to note that the obstructions of the Republican Party are certainly partly to blame for what little has been accomplished in the past, uh, well, going on two years come January. Recent article here by Ben Armbruster, which we found on truthout.com, notes that Senator Richard Lugar, Republican of Indiana, has been the leading Senate Republican urging the upper chamber of commerce to ratify these new start arms control treaty with Russia. However, the Republican obstructionism that's been so routine throughout the past two years is standing in his way. Senator John Kyle, Republican of Arizona, has been the face of the GOP hamstringing the effort despite the fact that this non-controversial treaty, one that closely mirrors the one President Ronald Reagan signed with the Soviet Union, has been thoroughly debated in the Senate for nearly a year. Kyle told the New York Times, if they try to jam us, in the lame duck session, 
If they try to bring this a week up the week before Christmas, it'll be defeated. Richard Luger has been reluctant to criticize his colleagues' obstructionism. When he was asked uh, a couple weeks back if they were just playing politics, Luger said, I'm not ascribing motivations to anybody. Other Republicans, however, are not holding back. Brent Scowcroft, who served as national security advisor to two Republican presidents, has been pleading with Congress to ratify New START. Profiling Luger's awkward position vis-a-vis other Senate Republicans on the issue, Politico reports today that Politico reports that Scowcroft isn't being as diplomatic as Luger on the GOP's incentive for holding up start. Noted Politico, in an attempt to rally bipartisan support for the treaty, the White House has enlisted the kind of GOP foreign policy wise men that Luger exemplifies. Among them are former Secretaries of State Henry Kissinger and James Baker. But they've had no success with members of their own party. It's left them scratching their heads over the source of GOP opposition. Said Brent Scowcroft, it's not clear to me what it is. I've got to think it's the increasing partisan nature and the desire for the president not to have a foreign policy victory. Noted truth out, the GOP opposition to start has become so laughable that even some are invoking Ronald Reagan. Indiana State Senator Mike Delf, who may challenge Luger in the primary, criticized his support for start, saying last week that Obama and Luger, quote, need to remember Reagan's philosophy of peace through strength, end quote. Yeah, how about they need to remember the fact that Reagan signed the treaty? Anyway, this is ugly stuff. We're talking about making the world safer from the danger of a nuclear war, and uh, Republicans in the Senate are playing politics. Apparently just so, you know, Obama can't, uh, can't claim to have done something good. And by the way, I don't know whether you noticed, but uh, apparently over the past year, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce spent about $3 million a week in opposition to President Barack Obama's major agenda items, which breaks all previous lobbying records. And speaking of political intrigues, how is it there was no follow-up on this Jim DeMint story in South Carolina? The fact that his opponent, Alvin Green, <laughs> appeared to have no qualifications whatsoever for office, and yet somehow became the Democratic nominee... Apparently he was unemployed and yet came up with $10,000 for his filing fee, ran no campaign, gave no speeches, had no website. How is it this passes for normal in America as opposed to, say, a banana republic? I mean, we know it takes place in banana republics. You just hate to think of America as one, don't you? Jim DeMint, by the way, seems to be leading the uh, conservative charge across the country uh, to uh, move the Republican Party still further to the right. He reportedly raised $5.6 million for ultra-conservative GOP candidates uh, this year and uh, made a last-ditch effort to deny the uh, Senate race to uh, Lisa Murkowski in Alaska, which she finally did win on the strength uh, of running as a write-in candidate, something that hasn't been accomplished in 50 years in the United States Senate. We've got to talk about some science at great length, and that might be uh, a cue for us to take a break now and get into it in our second segment. Let's do that. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Let's pause for a minute and then talk about Thermageddon. <laughs> 